Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Our scripture for today is from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample, and, trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord. So I'm kidding. Now I was doing fine, and now I'm in trouble. That was a dumb. That was a dumb thing to say. All right. So it's my understanding that I get to preach an extra hour today. So kids, if you want to, uh, no. So we do have Elevate and uh, EGC this morning. So if you would like uh, to head that way, only if you fit the age category or you're serving. It's not a free-for-all for everybody to leave because I said I was going to preach an extra hour. And I, that's not my intention. We'll, if the spirit moves, we'll see. But uh, we're going to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And I've shared this before. I've refer- referenced my pastor in seminary a few times. I have such a high respect for him. Uh, there were so many things that he said and the ways in which he conveyed things that were super helpful for me. But there's one quote that I think takes the cake uh, that he made and uh, I, I absolutely love it. And I mentioned it to him one time online, and his response was, oh, goodness, I hope you remember more than that. Um, and I do, but this is, this is one of my favorites. When I was in seminary, our church uh, was kind of thrust into the spotlight due to some just a, a horrific, violent event that took place. And our, our pastor was there. He was... He was put in front of several cameras, and he was asked several times his opinion on various things and lots of different interviews. And his responses were so calm and so helpful, uh, and I just really had a tremendous amount of respect for the way that he, he handled that. Um, but there was one point in particular, he was asked to address a gathering of community leaders uh, and just to talk to them about uh, how we address some of the current issues of our day. And somebody asked him, um, what, what do you think is the biggest problem facing our world today? And his eyes kind of, you know, his eyes got big. You could see everything starting to work in his head. And he took a deep breath and he said this line that I think is amazing. He said, wow, man, I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. I look around and I know what to do, but where do you start? Um, three years of seminary, <laughs> do not judge. Whew. If every problem in our world is a nail, 
This here is the hammer. We love, we love to judge, right? I mean, do we not? Do we not? As a confession, right? Mizzou fan, you know I'm a Mizzou fan. Has a ref ever cheated for your team? Never, never, never. Especially if you're a Mizzou fan, but I, I mean, never. Georgia fans were, I was like, come on. Anyway, all right, sorry. Um, well, that will take it a whole different, we love, we love to judge. And now currently, like we're really getting really good at it because one of the best ways that we can judge in our day is under the cloak of do not judge, right? Now we're genius at this. Um, sitting in Cracker Barrel one time, I mean, where life happens and, and I overheard a conversation. One of the servers was having behind me and she, she said, Beverly, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember the lady's name. Beverly was talking about me behind my back, and she was saying all this stuff about me, and I decided I was going to take the high road. I'm not going to talk about her behind her back, and uh, <laughs> if she's going to be a backstabber and treat me like that, I don't have time for her. I mean, she's mean. I'm not going to be that person and talk about her like that. <laughs> the beautiful irony, right? Or one of my favorite illustrations of this is, is Tanya Harding, if you remember Tanya Harding, America Enemy Number 1, and she was on a show on, on, uh, about stupid criminals, dumb criminals, and she, would, she and a couple other people, Todd Bridges was another one, they were, they, were, they were making fun of people who were committing dumb crimes and being caught on tape, and it's hard to watch that and be like, you're a dumb criminal. How, like, you get the irony of this, right? The, be the beautiful irony of, of our judgments about not judging. So before we get too far into that, let's, let's dive in to see what Jesus is saying here, what he's not saying here, um, and how do we respond to him, all right? So we start in verse 1. We're in chapter 7. Uh, we've made it all the way. We're almost there. We're two th a little over two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's downhill from here, all right? Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you remember back just a few verses, Jesus said something kind of similar about forgiveness, right? If you forgive, you will be forgiven. It, it, it feels a little like karma to our day. If you, karma is like you get back what you put in, right? Um, and one of the, one of the best, uh, there was a wonderful craft thing like the Hobby Lobby, live, laugh, love type things you put on your thing. But it, it said, you know, karma means you get back. It was in, in really nice little print on a little wooden plaque. And it said, karma means you get back what you put in, which means that everybody that I was mean to today had it coming. And I thought that was great. All right, but here's the difference. In karma, we initiate, we do something good to get something good, right? We, we do good and, and then we should get good because we do good. With Jesus, with grace, he initiates. It is what he does that is good. And we, when we respond well to that, it, it is good. And when we don't, then it, here, like Jesus is kind of going, here, here is your karma, and you don't want that. 
Take the first option of grace, not the second option of you'll get back what you put in. What is it? And so what does Jesus mean here when he talks about do not judge? Do not judge. And this is where everybody's going to get both happy and mad. All right, we throw this around a lot. So what do we mean? The Greek word here, krino, um, this word actually does not help us very much to know the word because it means a lot of similar things to what we mean in our day. Very expansive. It covers judgment like moral right and wrong, discerning what's morally right and morally wrong. It covers lawsuits, a judgment in lawsuits, uh, government direction and authority, like the government has judgment over the land. Um, and it also covers this idea of, of divine condemnation. So pretty close to everything that we would use that term judgment for. And Jesus is certainly not telling us to abstain from all of these things. Right? In fact, most of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling us how to discern all the more the moral judgment between right and wrong. What is God honoring and, and what is not? And not just like this behavior is and this behavior isn't, but even the motives of our heart. So the, most, the two definitions that I think are most confused, probably most people are not looking at that saying, do not rule in a lawsuit. Um, the two that are most similar probably here are the moral discernment between right and wrong and then kind of the act of condemnation. And we don't ever see throughout Scripture, in the law or, or in the Sermon on the Mount, throughout the New Testament, we don't, we're never really given the right not to discern between what is right and what is wrong. We're actually told over and over again to discern between what is morally right and what is morally wrong. Nuanced, with grace, but we're, we're, we're not ever said, you know, just be you. Don't let anybody tell you, you know. Um, we are, however, cautioned many times throughout Scripture to be careful when we are tempted to place ourselves in the position of God. To give a sort of moral or, or a sort of ultimate condemnation. And there's a slippery slope, right? It's, it, it, is, it can be a very, a very hard thing to say this is wrong and you are condemned. That can be a hard thing. Nowhere are we told not to make moral discernment between good and bad. If anything, again, the Sermon on the Mount gives us greater discernment, discernment on how to determine what is good and what is wrong. Um, but we're never given permission to sit in the place of God. What's interesting, we talked about this last week, in the position of anxiety, when we're talking about anxiety, God gives us the relief you are not in the position. You, you are not God. That's a tremendous relief. When it comes to judgment, God gives us the warning. You are not God. Right? And here's what's funny. Those make such a quick turnaround for me. Is that, am I alone in that? Of how close those, like it, the relief and warning, how quick I can, like why are all the fast cars behind me and all the slow cars in front of me? It is, I, like, it's amazing how fast I can make that transition. 
And then Jesus tells us what happens when we are tempted to take God's position, when we are tempted to pronounce condemnation on others. Um, I'd be curious, like, how many of you would be more than willing to allow the judgment that you use about other people to be the merit that you're judged on? Anybody want that? And I would encourage you, this would probably be a good time to not think too highly of yourself. I mean, for me, I'm like, yeah, I'd take that. And then I feel like, let's open up the replay, right? Let's go back to and look at these. Um, When when we ask for that, Jesus kind of gives us the wish that we never want, uh, that we get to be judged on the merit that we would judge others. Very common Jewish way of phrasing things in that day, parallelism, where you use you use a word, and then you use that again with another word to, to make the point. You use two words to explain one word. Judgment and then measurement. With the judgment that you use, you will receive. So how do we measure other people? How do we measure when other people are accepted or when they are rejected? Jesus is saying, if that's the way you want that to work, go on ahead. With the caution, I don't think that's the way you want that to work. Our best hope on this, our best bet, is to allow God to be the one to judge the human heart. I think that's our best bet. Let him be the ultimate judge. And we're actually introduced to this concept in the very first, chronologically, the very first book in the Bible. Chronologically, the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Job is the first book written. And what we see in Job is, first of all, it's very important to know this. Job is more about God than it is about Job. What we see in Job is a lot of the character of God revealed. And very right off the bat, uh, what we see is about God's character and that he is the one who knows the human heart. If you remember, in Job chapter 1, there's an accusation brought against, uh, against God. Verse 9 through 11, it says, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you, not put a hedge of protect- have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? Am I getting... Is that me? All right, that worked. I hit it. That didn't work. All right. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job not fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house uh, and all that he has on every side? Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. In other words, God, you don't really know Job's heart. The only reason he loves you is because you've given him everything. Take it away, and I promise you, he will curse you to your face. You speak as one of the foolish women. Should we receive good from God and not evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job does not curse God. The accusation against God turns out not to be true. God is, in fact, he does know the heart of his servant. God is, in fact, proven right off the bat, first two chapters chronologically of the Bible, God is fit to judge the human heart. He does know his servant. So we are freed from the need to pronounce condemnation on anyone. 
but we are not free from following and even declaring what God has said to be good and right. We're never given the right or permission to be the final judge. We are, however, given the responsibility to know God and to pursue what he has made good. Does that make sense? We're still tracking here. Okay, so then how do we do this well? It's a good question. Verse three, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And Jesus is using humor here, right? Imagine him like walking away, rocking around with like a giant two by four, and you know, as he's, as he's sharing this. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the how and why of proper judgment. How do we do this well? We are ninjas, especially in our own day. We are ninjas at bypassing our own junk. I know I got, I know I got my stuff to deal with and then focusing on the sins of others. And this is equal opportunity fender, uh, uh, offender, because our, what we're tempted to do is like, yeah. We never think that it's talking to us, right? I can look right at you and say your name. You'd be like, I think he's talking to you. We are, we are ninjas at bypassing our own junk and focusing on the sins of others. Um, and this is where it becomes very easy to just kind of slide ourselves into the position of God and bring condemnation to others. And this is complicated. There was an interesting uh, discussion in the commentary this week about how, uh, how different people read the stories of, how, like, how, how do you read yourself into the story of Scripture? Do you see yourself as uh, the, the one in need of grace, or do you see yourself as the one, uh, as like Jesus, or the hero of the story? And I think it's a little more complicated. He was telling how most lay people read themselves as the one in need, and most clergy see themselves as God in there. And I'm like, well, okay, but I think it's a little more complicated than that. Of course I do, because I'm getting defensive about it. Um, what I feel the weight of like, I should be more like Jesus. And so sometimes I read these and I'm like, oh, I really need to be more like Jesus. When really, I can also read them and go, you know what, um, I need Jesus. I need Jesus like that guy needs Jesus. And I'm so thankful. Sometimes it's not just pride that works us over. Pride will work us over, but, some, but guilt will work us over too, right? Guilt and shame can easily slide us into that position of feeling like we need to be God. Um, and I do want to tell you something. I, this is something that I try to be very aware of. Whether you realize it or not, I don't know. Um, and I don't do it all the time. Uh, but I do try to do it. I do try to catch it as much as I can. I am very aware when preaching, when talking about sinners or sinning, I'm very, I try to be very careful about saying you. As if I'm saying, you guys need this. And I try to be very cognizant to often say, we. We need this. So it's not me up here telling you guys what you need. It's me up here telling you guys what we need. I need it too. 
And I think it's because this verse hits me hard. Every time this verse hits me hard. I can be my own worst enemy here. There's a problem of focusing primarily on the sins of other people that is not good for us. Jesus confronts some of the Pharisees as hypocrites, right? Now, something you need to keep in mind, these guys are not hypocrites because they're Pharisees. They're hypocrites because they're hypocrites. All right? Please know that. Um, Matthew 23, Jesus has this saying to the the hypocrites, you strain the gnat and swallow the camel. You guys ever heard that? You strain the gnat and swallow the camel. For wine to ferment in that day, you would basically, you would crush all the grapes, you'd leave them in an open vat outside and it'd take a couple of weeks, good couple of weeks for that to ferment and obviously gnats are gonna get into that. Leviticus 11 is very strict about eating any insect that flies. I think it's God's like, hey, just in case you're wondering, don't eat insects, that's not good. But what Pharisees have taken it to is this is an impurity and like it is a source of pride. And so he would say, you would take great care to strain the gnat. What they would do with wine is they would soak it through cloth, and that's how they would strain gnats. But then if you were a Pharisee, just to make sure, not because it's gross, but because you're trying to follow the law, then you would take the wine and you would drink it like this. Just in case any gnat might have been in there, that way it doesn't get through your teeth. You would take great care to strain out a gnat to avoid the appearance of evil. All right? Camels, I mean, even in our day, like there's no explanation needed, right? Has anybody ever had camel? Have you ever seen camel on a, I don't think camels on many dinner uh, uh, menus, right? Camel was a disgusting animal. It's a great animal to work hard. It's a great animal to, to pack on and they do a lot of good, but it was an animal that would be the most impure to eat. And so Jesus is given this warning here. Um, Take great care. Don't, Don't be aware of how much detail we will give to somebody else to see how they are failing while almost completely ignoring our own stuff. Destructive things that are that are destroying us. Jesus says to deal with our own junk first. This is repentance. This is self-awareness. And I get it, and I know we have to be careful as followers of Jesus not to become like navel gazers and just worrying about ourselves. And we live in a day where that is prized above anything else. Um, But I also think we've kind of come from a type of Christianity that is purely concerned or consumed with getting other people to believe like we believe. Um... And it becomes only about getting other people saved. And we have a tendency only to focus on what other people need to do. They, those people need Jesus. And here's the reality. I need Jesus. We need Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is not for us to get in and then be like, all right, I'm good. The goal of the Christian life is always to need Jesus more to become completely dependent, not independent. So when Jesus says we need to deal with the log in our own eye first, this is repentance. 
And repentance is probably an often misunderstood, misinterpreted word. When I think of repentance, I usually think of feeling bad. Anybody else? I just need to feel bad for my sins. And if I feel bad enough, that means I'm atoning. And then, then I go out and invite everybody else. Hey, have you heard the good news about feeling bad? Let's all feel bad about our sins. And then Martin Luther, we just got done celebrating uh, Reformation Day. Martin Luther, his first of the 95 theses, all of life is repentance. So if you're a Protestant, then all of life is feeling bad. Mm. Biblical repentance is not just walking around feeling bad about our sin. It is acknowledging and owning our sin. It's not denying. It's not blaming somebody else. It's not acting as if the world or the refs are against us, even though. But, but it's owning what we can own. Repentance, true repentance, is actually telling the truth about ourselves. And then perhaps the hardest part is then to actually receive forgiveness that we tell the truth about ourselves and we receive forgiveness. The end goal of repentance is that we understand more and more just how much we have been forgiven so that we can walk in obedience. Just how much we can trust Jesus, that we are, in fact, a new creation, that in Christ our judgment has already happened. It's already taken place. Sociologist and author Brene Brown, uh, in her research, suggested that the deepest need of every human is to be accepted, to feel connection. She then suggests if our greatest need is to be accepted, then our greatest fear is what? Rejection. Anybody testify to that? That's me. In Christ. This is what fuels repentance, to be able to stand before God and tell the truth about ourselves and that in Christ, we are fully known. There's no secrets. He knows the deeper, hidden shames of our life more than we even do. We are fully known and not rejected, but actually loved so that we don't have to lie or pretend. And if this is how we stand before God, if this is our posture before God, to know how much we need forgiveness and how much we have in that, then we're actually freed to stop looking at others as if we need to condemn them, and we can start looking at others at, as to how we can help them to deal with their own junk. We don't need to self-justify. We don't need to compare. We are free to want good for others. Have you, ever, have you ever helped somebody get something out of their eye? Or have you ever had somebody else have to help you get something out of your eye? You want them coming in gun bla guns blazing? Right? How do we help somebody else with the speck in their eye? Carefully. With compassion with understanding. I know what it's like to have something in my eye. It's no good. I have had to have really hard conversations in my life that I really hate. Some of them have gone well, some of them have gone terrible. And they start 
Some of the hardest ones I've had start with, <laughs> I hate giving this line away, because then if I say it to you, then you're going to be like, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> do you believe that I love you and care about you and want the best for you? Yeah? Okay. Sit down. We need to talk. But let me also add to this. When we when this gets applied to us, because we are, we are defensive and fearful creatures, we can also become less defensive about holding on to the things that are not good for us. That when this begins to work full circle in us, we actually can start to invite other people to see the specks in our eyes. How many people in your life, in our life, how many people have the green light to tell you hard things? Christians, we are known to be judgmental. And the reality is, everybody's judgmental. All right? Christianity can be easy targets. Sometimes, I mean, we, we can specialize in this sometimes. That's, that's true. But there's also like certain values that we hold that have always been out of balance with the world. Um, and so some of the judgment that comes our way, we, we can get over. Uh, our ultimate hope for people is Jesus, not Christian culture. Um, but we are given a great freedom and burden to love in really hard and difficult situations where we see that someone is hurting themselves or that there's a way that, that they're carrying something that is just not good. It's not God honoring, but it's also not honoring them as they were created to be, uh, as an image bearer of God. And rather than feeling the need to condemn, we are actually freed up to trust God and offer help. I don't want this for you because I love you. Now, a whole lot of nuance here that needs to be worked out. A lot of hard conversations that need discernment. And I'm, listen, if there's something, I, I'm always up for coffee. I'm always up. If there's something that you need to talk about and something that you need to work on, if there's a hard conversation, because um, this is hard. And I, I'm not pretending to be an expert. Eugene Peterson would tell you there's no experts in the Christian life. And I would amen that. But sometimes we need help in community. I think, I think the next verse actually gives us some wisdom on when to approach those hard discussions. There's a lot of different interpretations of this next passage. Um, I'll give you mine. And regardless, or now technically I can say irregardless, uh, I think it, this is helpful. And if you argue with me on that, they've actually put it in the dictionary. All right. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, <clears throat> again, two of the most disdained animals to the Jewish people. Dogs and pigs. And I know it's hard to believe they did not have the same worship of dogs that we have in our culture. Uh, but also, you need to know that these terms are used for effect. This is not Jesus calling people names. Um, 
Essentially, Jesus is talking to or referring to the view of someone who, is, who absolutely rejects the kingdom of God, who has no interest in the things of God. We're, we can apply some of these general, uh, generously with this interpretation. But when you correct a dog, these, you know, and, and keep in mind, again, dogs were not what they are today. When you correct a dog that you don't know, or even like when you give a treat to a dog, you got to be careful, right? Because dogs don't care about your finger. They'll come in, you know, to get that thing hardcore. So you got to be careful when you give something valuable to a dog. Pearls and pigs, pearls are things that have great value. A pig, you put anything in front of a pig and they will eat it. Anything. Or they will trample on it. They're, they're non-discerning in that way. Again, Jesus is not name-calling. He's using Jewish rhetoric to make a point. We would not give something so valuable as proper and helpful judgment or rebuke or correction or kind of the like, how can I help type of judgment to something or someone that is just not ready or willing or able to digest it. Does that make sense? Let me get even further into this. There are so many thoughts, so many nuances here, especially culturally. Um, a few different things. There seems to be a deal in our day where people make these really hardcore Christian claims to like the culture at large, knowing that there's going to be a sharp rebuke, a sharp reaction against that. And then they make these claims against culture at large. And then when there's this big reaction to it, they're like, ah, we're martyrs. We're so persecuted. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we put expectations and then judgments on other people who are not followers of Jesus, and we say, you should act like followers of Jesus. And we put these judgments on them. We have, which, which we shouldn't. There's other parts of our culture where we just go like, everybody's a Christian, except those judgmental Christians. I'm not that. I'm the good kind of Christian. <laughs> so There's so many things where we want, where, um, there's a lot of things where just the, the water of our culture is so muddy here. We take something so valuable and precious as forgiveness and redemption and restoration and we've just, we've, we've treated it poorly. And I want, I'm, I'm hoping that this is both equally offensive and helpful. <laughs> we take hope and forgiveness and, way, and the ways of Jesus and we treat them like political fodder. Or we treat them like, we treat them as self-righteousness. Either side, either side. This is the true way of Jesus, and you people are, you know, and we use this as a way to ignore 
Um, I, how many of you grew up, growing up in like a more conservative Christian home? Heard. Don't, don't put your pearls before swine. Don't hang out with those types of people. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Everything in our day has been weaponized. Everything in our day has been weaponized. Everything in our day by everybody, right? You need to speak up. You need to be silent. You don't have anything to say here. Why aren't you speaking up? You can't believe these things and call yourself whatever. Don't believe these things. You must believe these things. Everything by every tribe has been weaponized. The hope of Jesus is not meant to be weaponized. A good way to treat this passage, and I I think, I hope this is a helpful way to interpret this. Don't give the valuable things, and I, I don't know, like, and this is hard, specify people who are not followers of Jesus. Sometimes everybody's a follower of Jesus, so it's a hard thing to discern there. Don't give such valuable things to people that you know do not have the ability or the capacity to digest them or understand them or even want them. This does not mean that we don't say hard things, but that we're careful not to use other people as props with something so beautiful and precious as the grace and redemption of Jesus. I know, here again, I know this can be complicated. Well, what do you mean by that? Don't, and this is the don't hear what I'm not saying, and don't, I'm, I'm, I'll encourage you not to fill in your own blanks. Like, if you want to talk, again, feel free, email, because this is, there's so many ways that this can happen. Um, but I think what Jesus is saying here is don't treat the gospel, don't treat the good news of redemption as something that you just, you, you just kind of use to make yourself look better. But you get the general sense? Okay. The practice this week um, is one to help us deal with the log in our own eye. Woohoo! Um, there's a lot that there's, we can't control anything about other people and how they respond, how they interpret things, how they take things. Um, what we are given uh, is that we can joyfully and hopefully deal with our stuff and get better at seeing and recognizing and dealing with our stuff. So um, I want to encourage you, sometime over the next couple of weeks, you can take this slow, you can do it all at one time, but this is what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to use the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> the commandments of God. We have, a, we have this actually written out. Well, I think we can put it on the, uh, the app. Uh, we'll get it to GC leaders as well if, if they want to print that out. But we'll try to make it available to, so you can walk through this. Let's use the Ten Commandments as a guide for repentance. Um, to help us see the things in our life that are hurting us. So I'm going to encourage you. Write down each commandment and leave a little space underneath. Um, And what I want you to do is I want you to picture yourself either like walking along a path 
or walking through the house of your mind, right? Going through the different rooms in your mind and that the Ten Commandments, the law of God, shines a light into those corners of sins that you don't want to deal with or things that you thought were hidden or things that you're just like, this is too, I don't want to bring this up. And I want you to imagine Jesus walking right next to you. And as the light shines in the corner and you see those things, initially, you probably will feel a measure of shame. In fact, A, that's okay. B, if you don't, that's probably a bigger problem. <laughs> if, these, if, the, if the corner of your rooms are illuminated, you're like, eh, it's what I do. Let that be like the check engine light, come on, you know. Um, you'll probably feel a measure of shame with that. Especially if Jesus is walking right next to you. And then I want you to hear Jesus say this. I see that too. And I don't want that for you because I love you. Can I take that from you? Will you let me have that? And as we walk through each of the commandments and allow Jesus to kind of go through the rooms in our house and shine a light on the things that either are very painful or cause a great deal of shame or we're just prideful and don't want to give up, we can practice confidence before the throne of grace. We practice the love of Jesus that frees us to tell the truth about ourselves, that we can actually stand before him have our darkest secrets exposed, and then not be rejected. He is fit to judge the human heart. And he bears our shame. And then also as we practice this, we also see the example of what it looks like to be loved, for someone to want to love us and, and not reject us. And then can also help us as we walk with others through shameful things. And not to demonstrate God's condemnation. That's his. But to actually demonstrate his love and grace and mercy and help. Let's pray. Jesus, we're probably in a whole lot of different places this morning. And I think this is going to hit in different ways. And I can't possibly know all the various ways. For some, if this is hurtful and painful, um, I pray that we would see that it, it, it is the morning that uh, when, when we allow ourselves to mourn well when it's painful, that, that the promise is that we'll be comforted by you. If this is frustrating, 
pray that you would give grace to take one step at a time. If this feels overwhelming, we are not given that we have to walk this big, long path to get back to you. That, that grace is simply turning around right where we're at. So I, I don't know. I don't know where we're at. Um, I pray that you would give us immeasurable grace, that we would stand before you, before we take this and apply it to everybody else, that we would remember what it is to be known, loved, and forgiven by you. So I pray that you would do what you do, be the gracious and good God, walk through us, walk with us through the corridors of our mind and our heart and the things that we worship and graciously, gently, confidently bear our shame that we would trust you all the more and learn to walk in obedience, in joy, and in good response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.